Hello everybody, we're recording this on Labor Day weekend, so I hope you're all enjoying your long weekend for now, or at least the start of it. My name's Dan Roselle, and I'm definitely enjoying it so far. How about you, John? I'm John Fisher of All About the Jersey, and yes, I am enjoying the weekend. College football is back in action. The Red Bulls are continuing to play soccer, and somewhat well, we hope. And more importantly than that, Dan, Devil's Hockey is imminent. Yes, so that's exactly what we're going to start off with today. We've been very excited about it, and let's start with the caveat that not every devil will be playing hockey. Well, ideally they're all playing hockey in some form or another, but some of them will be playing organized hockey with some members from other teams in the NHLPA Prospects uh, Challenge, I believe. That's taking place, uh, where is that, John? Uh, You're talking about the Prospects Challenge that the Devils are going to be doing this coming weekend? Yeah. Okay, so this is the Prospects Challenge that's hosted by Buffalo. This is the fifth annual Prospects Challenge. It doesn't have any other fancy name than Prospects Challenge. It runs from September 6th through the 9th, and the Devils are participating in this uh, four-team round-robin challenge again, joined by Buffalo, of course. They are the hosts. Boston, who have been a consistent uh, presence in these challenges, and the Pittsburgh Penguins, who are also returning. So the Devils will have a game on Friday, September 6th with Buffalo at 7 p.m., they will, at 3.30 p.m. on Saturday, September 7th, play the Pittsburgh Penguins. And then at 9.30 in the morning on Monday, September 9th, you can wake up and watch the Devils play Boston. And these games, as I understand it, are streamed on the Devils' official website, NewJerseyDevils.com or Devils.NHL.com, whichever you prefer. And it's all prospects. It's all futures, guys who are going to be angling for jobs a week from now at trading camp, guys who are going to go back to juniors or their other teams, and don't sleep on these games because this is where Jesper Brat made his impact a couple years ago, and that helped him get another opportunity in training camp and preseason, and he worked his way into the NHL roster. I'm not saying that's going to happen again this year, but these games aren't nothing. Yeah, so what, what can we expect from these games? What are you looking to see from the Devils' representatives, and is there anyone that you're paying special attention to? Obviously, we've talked about the same prospects over and over, and we know the big guys to look out for, the guys who have a strong chance to make the roster, but is there anyone in particular that you can point out that can be that Jesper Bratt like figure can really up their profile at this event. It's their first time participating against prospects uh, on other teams as members of the devil. So who is going to take best to this challenge? Who's going to rise up and give the coaches something to think about at training camp? Well, this is always a challenge, partially because the devils have yet to release their roster Mm -hmm. for, for the challenge. We expect that that's probably going to happen in this coming week or after we recorded this show. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless, Obviously, the big names like Jack Hughes, Ty Smith, Jesper Bokvist, you're going to want to see how they measure up against other players, make sure that they're performing well. As with these three games, I would treat them like preseason games. I wouldn't be so concerned about the result as long as the Devils don't get blown out. It's one If you lose all three games, as long as you didn't lose by five, so what? The bigger concern is make sure that guys don't get hurt and that players are performing to the best of their abilities and that they're performing well. So that's what I would expect out of the Hughes, the Bokefists, the Smiths. In terms of guys out of nowhere, again, it depends on who actually is on the roster for the Prospects Challenge. But I, I would try to keep a close eye on a guy like Va- Fabian Zetterlund. Mm-hmm. Uh, he comes from the same draft class as Bokefist. He was drafted a year, around later. He's a Swedish winger who just loves to shoot the puck. He's very strong, very strong on the puck, and he just fires away. You like shot volume? 
you're probably going to like Zetterloon. I know Jeff is going to have a piece up on Zetterloon very soon on the site, so you'll learn more about him. I'm interested to see how he will measure up against the the other team's uh, best prospects and their other similar level prospects. I think this guy has a real future in hockey, and this challenge could be a great opportunity for him to show up and show why people like myself have been excited about him ever since he was drafted. Yeah, and more so than anything, it signals the return of watching hockey i mean it, it's something that we've been severely lacking this entire summer obviously as is the nature of the thing but even when they were doing the development camp for the prospects they had some you know abbreviated forms of hockey they had some scrimmages some three yeah. three stuff but it wasn't you know game type situation where they have to think about actual game strategies rather than let's just show our skills to the best of our ability instead of let's play as a team and let's figure each other out. So that's a dimension that you're going to get at this tournament that you might not have gotten at prospect development camp. How well are they in that team setting? How well do they work with the other players instead of how well can they showcase their own skills? Exactly. And just as importantly, even though the games don't count for anything, it's not like there's a big trophy at the end. There's not a cash prize, but it is competitive hockey. That's something you're never going to get in a scrimmage or in a practice or in a drill. As, as competitive as athletes naturally are, you really start to see how they handle situations when they go up against players of their similar skill set or even better. I remember last year at the Prospect Challenge, there was a lot of buzz about Rasmus Dahlin, the top pick of the 2018 class. And as you would expect, Dahlin showed up really well. He clearly was head and shoulders above everyone else. So that's what you want to see for the Hughes, the Smiths, the Bokefist to see – just to just to confirm that they really are ahead of everyone else at their age level and similar. So this way it gives you further confidence that, yeah, this guy really is ready for the next level. And, and it may just be a preseason thing in general or just a me thing. But again, even though preseason means nothing results wise, anything like that, I'd still rather see the players doing well than doing poorly. It's oh, yeah, absolutely. That, it's about know, performances. Yeah, it's about people performances don't put a lot of, of stock in the results as well. But you're right. It is about the specific performances. And I even I would rather see a player get a couple of goals with everyone else not trying than not do anything with everyone not trying. You know what I mean? Exactly. And that's the sort of same mindset for preseason. I, I personally like these three games because it gets the fans and myself and people on the site as well to get ready for the season that's coming up. So it's not as if, all right, the first game of preseason is a split squad game. You're already dividing up 46 players or however many players are going to be in camp this year. And you're just going to try things out, at least for some of these players that are going to be in these games. They already had one or two games or even three games under their belt a week or so earlier. So they're already a little more up to speed. The rink rust, so to speak, isn't as severe. And as a fan, you're just you're already mentally prepared to say, all right, it's exhibition. I just want you guys to do well. And for the love of everything, don't get hurt. Yeah, and as we said, this is a chance for them to make an impact. There's empirical proof that this tournament and many others like it can lead to second looks from coaches that players may not have gotten otherwise. Uh, you mentioned the Brad example. That's a great one because now he, no one has a second thought of him being on the main roster. This is someone that is still super young, but he made his showing at this tournament, as you mentioned. And also, he's someone who essentially was an afterthought both at the draft and initially in prospect development camp. It was the invite to training camp came from this tournament. So people are really well, trying to make a name, right? 
Well, yes and no. I mean, typically for training camp, you bring, you try to bring in a number of prospects if available. It's a little tricky with European players because you have to have an agreement with their club in Europe because right now, as we're talking, some of the European leagues are just about to begin. Like their seasons are about to start or they're in the middle of their own preseason. So there's definitely a, a relationship aspect, a little negotiation, for lack of a better term, to say, Look, we want to bring this guy into camp. We want to get him with the other NHL players. We want him with our coaches for a couple weeks. Club, are you okay with that? And the club may say, yeah, we're not going to rely on this guy much anyway, or we'll we'll take care of him afterwards. And other times the club may say, no, we need we we need every point that we need to stay in the league. We're expected to be competitive, and we have big things for this player. So there's always a little bit of balance. And, of course, if the player is pushing for it, that's another factor you have to conser- uh, consider as well. So, But you're absolutely right. What Brett did at the Prospect Challenge a couple of years ago was get himself more of an opportunity in camp than I think he would have otherwise if he wasn't at the Prospect Challenge. And he got his opportunity, made the most of it then. So this, as I said earlier, the this tournament can be an opportunity to get another opportunity for future opportunities. <laughs> and that seems a little uh, convoluted, but that's kind of how life works. If you want to be the top dog one day, you got to settle for be an opportunity to become the sec the second bottom dog and then move your way up to mid card dog upper mid card dog and then main event dog and this is a terrible analogy <laughs> but i'm a hockey blogger and therefore i deal with terrible analogies on a day-to-day basis not so, an analogies you. guy uh not not a math guy but definitely an analysis guy so i can i can <laughs> see where you're coming from here and again this is as the team gets deeper too these tournaments become more and more important it's harder to stand out when there's a preconceived notion of what the roster is going to look like people have oh, been absolutely. penciling things in since the season ended and then every single trade that happened in the off season, people's perception of what their final roster is going to look like has changed so if you're one of those depth prospects maybe your path looked a little bit clearer and you had to emphasize this less in the past where you know you'll have a chance in development camp or training camp or anything like that but as the roster gets deeper you need to take advantage of every opportunity and this is one of the first and best ways to do it absolutely and it's also a reflection of since, as you mentioned, development camp, I would like to think that at these development camps, the really important stuff at those camps is not necessarily the scrimmage. It's not the drills. It's those discussions with the coaches where you get expectations of this is what we want you to do in the off season. This is what we want you to work on. This is what you need to improve upon. You can come into these pro- before training camp. You come into these three games and then you can show, look, I, I am in shape. I did listen to what you say. I did work on this. Let me demonstrate you my growth. And that will help you at least in the eyes of those coaches, a lot more than if you just show up and just sort of play your way into the play your way into the shape or you didn't do as much work or whatever the case may be. So as you as you say, because there's more competition, you can't squander an opportunity and you have to pay attention to whatever hint you get from the coaches about what you need to do to get that opportunity. So this is your time to show this guys. And, um, if you do well here, it'll help you out in getting that roster spot in a preseason game. And then once again, you can show there you deserve more minutes, you deserve more attention. And it may not be glamorous to fight for number 14 forward or number seven or number eight defenseman, but that's how you're going to break into the league right now. 
And even for the big guys, too, the ones that have a lot of expectation on them, this is their chance to set the tone as a member of the New Jersey Devils. This is something that they can't just coast through something like this. There's going to be moments where maybe they don't want to play in a certain tournament or maybe they're above the level of competition there, but it doesn't really matter. This is how do they react being placed you know, as a front-facing member of the New Jersey Devils. Their names are going to be mentioned left and right at this challenge. For the NHLPA showcase, we know the three that went, but this this is their opportunity to say, yeah, they're justified in being penciled into the roster this early. They're justified in saying that, uh, you know, our coaches have all the faith in us to perform in every situation, including not necessarily ones that are that important from a grand scheme, but are very important in proving that they can handle the rigors of the league in a game sense. Like the travel aspect will come later, and that's something that you learn. You know, as you develop in the league, as you spend more time there. But in terms of actually playing the games on a big stage and playing against other prospects who may not be as high profile, given that, not to brag, you know, the Devils have made the top five of Prondman's uh, farm system rankings, and we'll talk about that a little bit more later. But these are guys who know, for Jack Hughes, for example, the prospects going into this tournament know exactly who he is. If they perform against him, it makes them look better for their own respective training camps. And that's something that Jack has to understand and kind of work off of as he looks to solidify, you know, his spot on the roster is not really in question, but he, in terms of the responsibilities that the coaches will allow early on, this is a chance for him to really show everything he can do. Well, yeah, and that's why I said earlier that, you know, those are the guys you really want to watch for. Yes, you, it would be nice to find the next Jesper Bratt, but really if you're these guys that were highlighted earlier in this NHLPA showcase, these are guys that the Devils have been high on. These are high draft picks by the Devils. I, I have no doubt that Hughes will take this tournament seriously because he's taken everything seriously so far, <laughs> and, and he's demonstrated that. I don't think there's any reason to doubt that, nor is it any any reason to doubt it from any player's perspective, but I will say that, you you know is it critical that he has to play incredibly well for those three games not necessarily but he does need to show up and sh at least show that he is head and shoulders above most of the, everyone else on the ice yeah like even if he doesn't score every goal if it's clear that when he's on the ice he's dominating possession he's making plays he has good awareness he's doing all the things that or essentially the reasons that the Devils drafted him first overall that'll be enough like the results will come it's is he doing the things that we know he's capable of at any situation. Right. And, and again, he'll get opportunities in preseason also to demonstrate that with his potential, uh, his potential future line mates. Yeah, exactly. And that'll be interesting too, but that's a little bit further away. Unfortunately, I mean, man, I've been really clamoring for it, especially since other sports are kind of winding down, but football being back is kind of nice at least. Right. But you know what else is back, Dan? What's that? The top 25 under 25 hey. is now entered. The actual top 25 part of the list. Perfect. So we'll seg So with that wonderful segue, because I'm a hockey blogger and therefore I'm an expert at segues. Oh, yeah. Brian has revealed the bottom fifth spots 25 through 21st of the top 25 under 25. So just to briefly over, just to briefly recap how we do business for this uh, top 25. So in the summer, myself, Brian, the other regular writers, and uh, a community survey, we all rank the players who are under the age of 25 in the system. And it's up to us to determine how we rank them. I don't tell them, pick the guys with the most potential, pick the guy with the most 
NHL experience or pick certain talents over there. I just say, name your top guys, one through 47 in this year. And we at- collect all the ranks, we average them out, and that makes the list. So last week, there was a very long post about who didn't make the top 25. So let's <laughs> go over who did make the top 25 at the bottom end of the list. So coming in at number 25 is goaltender Akira Schmidt. Ooh. He jumps up from 34th from last year's ranking. Uh, he is a big man from Switzerland. He's at the age of 19. He played primarily with the Omaha Lancers of the United States Hockey League after a failed stint in Lethbridge, which lasted all of one game, <laughs> which was a disaster. Right. But he got his groove back in a big way in Omaha. He had a great season in the USHL. He played he for did. Switzerland in the juniors, right? World Correct. Juniors? He did. Yeah, he did play for Switzerland in the World Juniors. However, he and the Swiss team did not play well. But he did overcome a tough start to his North American career, and therefore he just sneaks in at 25th overall on the top 25 for this year. So he had a big big rank. Outside of Mackenzie Blackwood, who is not really a prospect, he's easily the best goalie in the system. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody would question that. He's going to turn 20 next May, so he's definitely on the younger end as a prospect. So hopefully it's onward and upward for Schmid. Perfect. Okay, coming in at 24 is a controversial uh, selection. Ooh. Blake Spears. Oh, boy. When, when, the annou- when the announcement for the Outsiders came in, there were plenty of comments complaining that Blake Spears should have been among that list. And I, for one, put him outside my top 25. He was ranked 18th, and he has been falling quite a bit. He had a great career in junior. It looked like he was going to be another successful mid-round draft pick like Adam Henrique, like Blake Coleman, like Miles Wood before him. However, he entered pro hockey, and he is basically underwhelmed ever since. Um, He got a couple – excuse me. He got a couple games in the NHL, but for all intents and purposes with the B-Devils, the Binghampton or Binghamton or Binghamton, whatever – Sorry to the uh, AHL fans over there. I'm just bad at pronouncing the city's name. I thought you were going with badminton again. <laughs> Bat- Batman Devils. Yeah. Uh, Spears got really low grades by Jeff and his uh, quarterly grade crew. Uh, lots of C's and D's. So he's still fairly young at 23. He's still on the list, I think, primarily because he was so high up before. And I don't think the many people, including the community ranking, rated him so lowly that the, he was going to fall off. So I wouldn't be surprised. I'd be surprised if he makes the top 25 next year. It looks like he's going to start falling off next year, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, another Here's another surprise at 23. Graham Clark, the third-round draft pick from this year's draft class. I did not rank him highly at all because typically outside of the top guy in the draft class, I did not. I typically don't rank the draft class very highly since they're 18 17 18 19 years old i have no idea what they're really going to do I, I i usually take a wait and see approach with those guys but a lot of people are very high on clark they loved his shooting he was a big scorer on the 67s he's going to play a bigger role on what should be a very good ottawa 67 teams in the ohl he's going to turn 19 next april so he's still fairly young I'm concerned about his skating, but it, clearly a lot of people like the offensive skill set. They like the hands and the extra shot enough, so they're definitely very high up on him as a prospect. So he comes in at 23, which is atypical of a lot of guys who just got drafted outside of that first round or high second round pick. Well, so he's on that team with uh, Mitch Holscher, right? Correct. Mitch Holscher and uh, Nikita Okhotyuk. Uh-huh. I got it, I think. Okhotyuk, uh, says the uh, fluent Russian speaker. Yeah. <laughs> so Nikita... <laughs> Nikita, oh, yeah, he's on the 67s, which, again, 
from what I understand in the OHL, they're going to be a very strong team this year on paper. So hopefully that means Clark will bust out and just keep on producing lots and lots of points at that level, which would be great. Yeah, keep tasting success. All right. Coming in at 22nd is a player I also rated outside of my list by a big margin, but a lot of people felt otherwise, so he made it. Colton White, who jumped up from 32nd to 22nd this year. And it, it turns out I probably underrated him greatly. Uh, he only got a couple games with the Devils last year. My opinion is, well, if you couldn't make the Devils last season when they were awful and injured, maybe you're not that high of a prospect. You're not high up in the system. But as I understand it, with the AHL team, he was very good. He was among the better defensemen that they had on what was a bad team. He's still fairly young. He's not going to turn 23 until next May. He's still on his entry-level contract. So provided he has a good camp, for all we know, he could be joining Smith as a guy that you know could be a call-up. Or rather, Smith can't be called up. But anyway, <laughs> we could see White again. So people are high on White. Not Colin White, Colton White. Yeah, that's always been confusing, too, ever since they drafted him. Because also, there's a Colin White in Ottawa. Who's a forward. And I once briefly thought, maybe the devil should offer sheet him, since we know Ottawa is cheap. Uh And, you know, it may not take a very large offer sheet. But then you made the P.K. Subban trade, you made the Gusev trade, so you obviously can't do that anymore because you don't have the picks. Well, we got one offer sheet all summer, so. And it was greeted gloriously by Carolina. <laughs> they uh, they clapped their hands and said, well, thank you for making this decision for us. It was the equivalent of that scene in uh, Austin Powers, the first Austin Powers movies, where Dr. Evil says, I'm going to destroy the world unless you give me a million dollars. And everyone just goes, that, that's it? <laughs> sure. Yeah, the reports were coming out about the offer sheet stuff just to diverge a little bit, but... You know, you had to know at the back of your mind, like, what is this going to look like? Is this if this is the prime year for it? Uh, everyone's kind of out of practice giving these out. So what is this going to be? And they thought they could kind of trip him up by making it very front loaded. And Carolina, uh, in nice words, didn't care. Nope, didn't. So and they signed him. There so you go. Aho is locked in. Aho is locked in. Anyway, and Colton White is locked in at number 22. Right. So ending out the list for this uh, this past week's reveal is Mikhail Maltsev. Mm. So the man from Ska St. Petersburg, uh, right? He barely missed the list last year. He came in at 26 last year. He got a big bump, uh, presumably because he did have a pretty solid season. He played, okay, so he didn't really make the KHL team very much, but that makes sense because Ska St. Petersburg is usually, goodness, they're usually one of the most stacked teams in the KHL on a consistent basis. That being said, he played a lot with their VHL team, Scott Neva St. Petersburg, and he did very well there. He also represented Russia at the World Juniors this past two seasons ago, rather. So the fact he got an entry-level contract and he's co- he's already coming over, it's expected he's going to play with the B-Devils in the AHL. He's still fairly young. He's a big guy. He may not have the potential of being a scoring player. He's probably going to be more on the level of what you would expect out of a Blake Coleman. I know that when Brian talked to Victor Fomich of Russian prospects, he suggested he could be someone like Sergei Breland. I understand, you know, you're comparing a Russian player to another Russian player, but the point I'm trying to make here is that no one's really hyped on him of being a top end threat, but there's reason to think he has an NHL future. So to that end, I can understand and respect the increase from where he was on the list last year to where he is now. So, and typically with these top 25 lists, this is the sort of the end of the list where you're you're still kind of unsure about these prospects. They're still long range prospects. Some of them are on their way up. Some of them are on their way down. 
and, and even if you think they meet their potential, they may not necessarily be the top end guys that you're going to build your team around or become top end stars or superstars or, or long term players. They're, they may be complementary players. They may be bottom six players, third pairing defensemen and so forth. But you have some hope for them. And that's respectable. So I think so Maltz have got a nice bump, too, because it seems like everyone around the team from, you know, Julie Robenheimer uh, talking about it, from Amanda Stein talking about it, from everyone who was at the development camp, too, or anyone who is aware of the Devils prospects. They mention his name a lot as someone who has a legitimate NHL chance. It's, it's always the same kind of verbiage that's used with him. It's sneaky. Look out for uh, Mikhail Maltsev could sneakily be a good NHL player one day or has all the tools to have a shot at the big league, something like that. He's he's that kind of player that attracts that attention. But I just wanted to point that out because his name specifically has been coming up a lot this offseason. Absolutely. And to a degree, it is deserved for the reasons that you mentioned. And just to go back in history, back in the day, Blake Coleman was never a high guy on our top 25 list. He was an overage draft pick. He did well in college, yes, but who knows what the future hold. It was always told that, oh, he's not going to be a top-end player. He goes to pro hockey. He has a terrible injury, so he misses the season. So he didn't really break into the league until he was 26. He aged out of the top 25 list <laughs> and before he had a real chance of making it, and he turned out to be a good player. Not that Malsev is going to follow that exact same career path, but that's the sort of mindset you got to look at this, is that, just as you said, you have reason to think that these guys have some sort of future in the NHL even if it's not a very large future, but it's something. And for a lot of prospects, just making it is a big accomplishment because a lot of prospects just don't. That's exactly right. And that's something that in those prominent rankings that I mentioned where the devil's position hasn't been revealed yet, but they haven't been posted. Uh, the The article detailing their prospects hasn't been posted yet right. from his perspective, which means that by default they're in the top five. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, so are the Rangers, but we all knew that was happening too. But in that kind of deal, he's someone that brought up Maltsev a lot, but his tiering system has levels of, is this person going to be, you know, a depth player in this organization, or do they have a legitimate NHL chance? I think when the rankings come out, he Maltsev might be a little bit higher than legitimate NHL chance, uh, according to his tiering, at least. Exactly. And keep in mind that Pronman is looking at these players a lot differently than you and I may do so. For example, he actually watches games in Russia. I'm usually working on secondhand information, and that's all right because that's how things work with respect to prospects in hockey uh, for a lot of different reasons that are, would be would make for a great discussion in the future, but we're not <laughs> going to get into right now because there's a lot of different elements and different issues with that. And at the same time, you know, Promin's experience, I think, should be well taken because, again, he not only sees the players, but he's also been following players for well over a decade so it's not as if this is some johnny come lately who's like oh i just finally found russian hockey and this guy looks good to me so you should get on the hype train for him it's like no he has some experience to know who who looks good who does well who has the subtle skills that are subtle to you and i but speak loudly to him and other scouts to really show whether or not they actually have something they can work with here yeah, he looks for, like you said, specific skills and the amalgamation of that. And again, this is, you know, one person's subjective opinion, but this is coming after years of experience doing this and the direct eye contact with how they're playing. This is not someone who's necessarily watching everything on video, and I'm sure he watches a lot, but this is someone who does the traveling to check out all these leagues and watch all these minor players. So we're going to get some insight here that we may not have otherwise. Now, he emphasizes a lot on skating. I think he ranks prospects higher based on their skating ability, which, to be fair, is 
you know, the most important thing in hockey, I'd say, but there's other skills that they could have that he might not potentially highlight, but even still, it's nice to see that he's going to get some love in the prominent rankings. Yeah, and it's always good to see your favorite hockey team get some validation from outside sources, even if it comes from sources that really don't have any impact on anything. But just as we discussed a couple shows ago about Kyle Palmieri being listed as a top two-way forward while we don't agree with the selection, <laughs> it is nice to see that somebody is thinking of the Devils and are comparing with other players and other teams. Because especially if you're the fan of a team that has been terrible, like the Devils, they finished 29th last season. So guess what? That's that's your perception. You know, it's good to know that, hey, things really are getting better. There's getting some more pub out there other than, hey, we just added P.K. Subban. Hey, we got the top draft pick. It's also, oh, look, there are some good players on this team, and we're going to recognize that. Or, hey, there's a future with this uh, – this uh, organi- there's a real future for this organization, and somebody else recognizes that. So it, it's nice to be validated. Perfect. And, um, yeah, I mean, anything else on the prospects so far? I think we've covered a lot of ground. And those bottom five, uh, can you just list those off for us one more time? Sure. So the bottom five of the total list is Schmidt in 25, Spears at 24, Clark at 23, White, Colton White at 22, and Mikhail Maltsev at 21. And on Tuesday, Brian will reveal 20 through through 16, and I think you're going to start seeing the level of prospect increase. Okay, perfect. And You might even have an NHL player in that section. Okay, not too bad. Uh, And that'll bring us right to our first break. We're going to step away for a little bit to hear a word from our sponsors and kind of change gears a bit. But on those prospects, like John said, be on the lookout for that list being revealed and enjoy the top 25 under 25. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back after that and some nice, fun prospect talk. But we've got some other topics to cover here. So I just want to start this with um, acknowledging while General, or is he General or Corporal, whatever he is, Colonel Andrew Luck, that Twitter has been retired Uh. now since he's left the league. We also lost a uh, a reverend in Ben Lovejoy. So you see see what I did there? Nicknames. So Ben Lovejoy uh, has announced his retirement from professional hockey, you know, as a player at least. I don't know if he'll come back as a coach or anything, but Lovejoy obviously was a member of the New Jersey Devils. That's why we bring him up here. And he was a member of New Jersey's team from 2016 to about midway through, well, to the trade deadline of 2018. Um, or 2019, sorry, 2018-19 season. And yeah, he's he's had a, he had a really, really long career um, for, you know, someone who played a role that he played in all these organizations. So he played for Pittsburgh. He played for Anaheim. He played for New Jersey and he played out the last half of last season in Dallas. And the devils got Carrick back in exchange for him. But Lovejoy, Oh boy. So as a devil, let me just read you off these numbers here. He played 190 games in New Jersey, scored five goals and got 17 assists for 22 points and 97 penalty minutes. You know, he he's not going to jump off the the leaderboards here and just hit you with the amount of stats he compiled, but Lovejoy's time was interesting to say the least in Jersey. What are, what are some of the thoughts you have on that? Well, his first season here was very critical of him, primarily because the coaching staff decided, "Hey, let's put Andy Green and Ben Lovejoy together." Oh, look, the Devils aren't giving up lots of goals, but they know they're always in their end of the rink. <laughs> 
Like, offense died with that pairing, and I hated that pairing. The pairing was ineffective as a defense defensive pairing, and even if not a lot of goals are scored against it, the whole point of playing defense is to stop playing defense. It's to, so, it's to change the flow of the game, just as you would see in soccer, basketball, and other sports with a fluid motion. And to that end, having Andy Green, who is starting to decline as a player, plus Ben Lovejoy, who his entire career has been, I'm a defensive defenseman. I don't handle pucks. I clear them. And you could trust me in a penalty kill situation. You could trust me in a defensive situation. But anything beyond that is gravy. But the following two seasons, he was used more appropriately. He was put next to Will Butcher on a third pairing. And with Will Butcher, he got – he had somebody who could handle the breakout, handle the puck much better than Green was at the time. And with reduced minutes, Lovejoy was able to be more efficient in his in his effectiveness in terms of being a defensive player. As you pointed out, he's not going to get you shots. He's not going to get you points. He's not even going to get you lots of penalty minutes. But you're paying the man to play some minutes, play defensively, help you kill penalties, which is what where he was his bread and butter was. And he did very well at that. I don't hate Ben Lovejoy. I think he was used more appropriately in his second and third and final season in New Jersey. And to that end, I think people understood his role. They understood what he brought to the table. And because he wasn't dying out there, for lack of a better term, um, people have decent to fond memories of the man. And so I say congratulations for his retirement because, as you said, he had a long career and he went out on his own terms. And he's a cup winner, so he won the cup with Pittsburgh right before uh, joining New Jersey in free agency as well. So congratulations to him. And I think he represented a lot of a lot more of the intangibles. It's it's easy to say with someone who doesn't pick up a lot of points, but from a locker room presence perspective, I'm sure he was valuable in the playoff run. Like he's someone who had some of the most playoff experience in that 2017-18 locker room. Yeah, I mean, it definitely did help because um, he did have runs with, uh, obviously, the Pittsburgh Stanley Cup in 2016. He also had at least two rounds with uh, Anaheim in 2014. And he's made playoff appearances before in uh, more limited more limited amounts of time. That said, um, I don't know if I would say intangibles is really is his hallmark. Because for a player like him, the intangible is, can you get along with everybody? Mm-hmm. And he did. So... You know, that's not really anything special. He was, as far as I recall, he was never a captain. He was never an alternate captain or an assistant captain. So, but no, but as someone with playoff experience, just to keep people grounded during the chase, I think that's what was valuable in the sense that I I could see that the devils didn't back into it. You know, they, they played out the string and they had to win. (laughs) They had to win a bunch of games to get there. Oh yeah. But well, they they got in. That's the important thing. Right. They got in. Uh, he didn't kill them. He didn't. Uh, he wasn't an anchor. He wasn't uh, an albatross, so to speak, because of his usage uh, was much better those in that season. So, but I will say that uh, you know, again, having experience is a benefit in the sense of most of the players on that team, outside of Zajac and Green, they haven't played as much as as him with the amount of success that he has had. Taylor Hall has played a lot too, but he has never been to the playoffs that often. Paul Mary has played a lot, but he hasn't been to the playoffs that often. Uh, Boyle would be another example of somebody who would have that experience, but he was also fairly new to the team as well. Mm-hmm. Ditto for Patrick Maroon and, to a lesser extent, Michael Grabner. 
like the larger point is that yeah, there there's some merit to his experience being helpful in that regard. But his main, as I said earlier, his bread and butter was his help on the penalty kill. He was very, very good at that. And putting him in limited situations, he handled that very well. In, in really deep runs ball. and deep season runs and playoff pushes, you need someone who can eat up minutes like he did, you know, without being a detriment to your team. But that's just it, is that he, he was most effective when he wasn't eating up lots of minutes. <laughs> okay. When, when Damon Severson and Sammy Vatnin were taking his minutes. Because uh, you needed in those situations, you needed more than just a one-way defenseman. Well, no, I mean, and it's he, in like high-stress situations, like penalty true, killing. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely, penalty killing. He yes, you could absolutely give him three minutes a night on the penalty kill, which is a lot for a defenseman. And if you needed somebody to help lock down that one-goal lead, and the other team has their net empty, and all you care about is just throwing the puck away to kill clock, Lovejoy, Lovejoy was your man. If you needed a clearance, Lovejoy can give you a clearance. <laughs> well perfect yeah so like we said congratulations to ben lovejoy on a uh on a you know lengthy career and success obviously winning a stanley cup and uh wishing him all the best in retirement and devil's got a surprisingly good haul for him when he did get traded to dallas so oh yeah that was that was surprising i was expecting just the pick <laughs> yeah exactly i thought it would be like a you know Kyle Quincy situation where they throw him away for a player like Dalton Prout. It's it's that kind of thing where I was expecting, what are they going to pay for Lovejoy? Like a fifth, something like that. And they got a whole NHL defenseman out of him. So I'll take it. Yeah. Um, and on that end, just to, you know, round out the roster talk, it's been, as you mentioned at the start of this call off, off recording, it's been over a month since the Devils have signed anyone. So there's one person left on the roster that needs to be signed. And I'm wondering if his delay has any, I don't think it does, but I'm wondering if it has anything to do with the rest of the restricted free agent market being as delayed as it has been. This has been bizarre. There's a lot of good players still out there without contracts, and there's not much they can do about it except request a trade. But I'm not sure how much guys like, you know, Marner, Line, Connor are impacting Pavel Zaka, but maybe to some extent. They're not. They, they shouldn't be. No, I mean, in terms of comparables, obviously not. But in terms of the length of contract, is there anything that they're waiting for? Like, what's the holdup in getting uh, Zaka back in the fold? Well, the old adage is that from Lou, from the legendary Lou Lamorello is if you have time, you should use it. And since Zaka is a restricted free agent without arbitration rights, he's at the mercy of whatever the GM wants to start talking turkey. Because, as you said, he could request a trade, but that doesn't mean it has to be honored. And more importantly than that, he can't. Go, file for arbitration or do anything like that to force a deal to happen. So he's just waiting on something. I have no idea what. I was I was hoping to expect to see something because in this past week, RFA Anthony Beauvillier, who's in a very similar situation to Zaka, RFA without arbitration rights, similar age, signed a two-year deal for $4.2 million, which is effectively a bridge contract for him. And by the time that contract ends, he will become arbitration eligible, so he won't have to repeat the same process. However, if Beauvillier is worth about $2.1 million, you got to think your Zaka's got to be in that similar range. Mm -hmm. I think Beauvillier is a better player than Zaka right now. Uh, the numbers are not super different. Again, I know Zaka last season, he had some injuries. He was sent down for a little bit. He had a really long cold streak with respect to scoring. He did finish the season with 13 goals and 25 points, so there's a little hope that there's a player in here. It's just a question of what exactly that player is, and given how the rest of the roster is shaken out with respect to Bratt, with respect to Gusev, with respect to Hughes, with respect to 
uh, bulk that's coming into the fold on top of adding Wayne Simmons, you're figuring Zach is going to be a bottom six player by default. So it's almost a question of, you know, he's not going to get a ton of money. That's why I almost laughed when I, when you said he's not really comparable to Marner or point or Connor or Lonnie, because those guys are top tier players on their teams. Zaka is not right. So I figure I was expecting to see, well, Bovili is getting 2.1. Surely Zaka would accept 1.9 or two. And we'll call it a day. We'll say it's a two year deal. By the time it ends, you can file for arbitration like butcher did and Carrick did and Mueller did. And, you would get a deal next time in July as opposed to early September. But this is where we are. <laughs> yeah, this is what we have left to talk about. And Zaka, you know, man, I just I'm so confused as to what to make of him because he has flashes of just moments where you're like, wow, like I good, good offensive skills there. Good mindset. He's a good penalty killer. I mean, he's one of the better penalty killers in the league, actually, by oh, a yeah. lot of metrics. I, yeah, I, I did a post on this, and I was stunned to find out, like, compared to forwards who played at least something like 40 minutes on the penalty kill last season, he, his shot, when he was on the ice, the Tevils' shot, shots against rate was, like, one of the highest or lowest in the league. It was stunning. You figure, oh, Blake Coleman's a great penalty killer, Travis Zajac's a great penalty killer. Zaka's stats blew those guys away. Yeah, and there's a role for him for sure because of that. It's just as someone who's taken sixth overall, you want a little bit, no, a lot of it more production out of him, especially especially it, with the guys around him, with the guys drafted. around him who got drafted exactly and way after him, like Barzell, for example, just to name oh, one. Right. But um, it's something that you want a little bit more out of him. But he's not old enough where the ship has sailed. I don't think it's fair to say that he's already a bust because this year he'll be playing a role that he hasn't been playing uh, in New Jersey that he, you know, that he's played before. It's something that where they have two or I guess two, two and a half established lines of forwards and he can kind of take that opportunity to go against some lighter matchups. Like, yeah, he was demoted last year, but the team as a whole just got caved in every single game. So maybe when there's less of that happening, he can take some more risks, shoot the puck a little more. And I don't know. I don't, I, I hope he develops more to his game. It's cool being a good penalty killer and all, but it's, I, I need a little more from him. Absolutely. And this ties back to Ben Lovejoy. In, in the sense that one of the things that's fading away from the NHL, from today's NHL, so to speak, are specialists. It's not just fighters that are going away. It's also guys that just do only one thing really well, whether it's your defensive defenseman, you're a great penalty killer. Or if I could go back further to past devil signings like David Steckel, or a great faceoff taker. Like in this day and age, you need to be able to do more than just be a great penalty killer. You need to be able to be a good five-on-five five player. You need to be able to be good when you're passing the puck or shooting the puck. You need to be able to break out the puck well. Like, it's not enough to just do one thing so well that we could just ignore all the other stuff. And to that extent, that's why Zaka has been a very frustrating player is because he has flashes of being much more than just a guy who just does one or two things well. But he doesn't do it consistently enough. He doesn't do it aggressively enough. And given how the roster's shaking out, he's almost being pushed off the roster to a degree. Like in some ways you almost wonder, does he need just need more ice time more opportunities? But at the same time, he's had opportunities to justify more ice time and he's never taken them. We're talking about a guy who's already played 200 games in the NHL and he's 22. So you're right. It's not as if he's an old guy and he'll never get better, but we're starting to get to, we're really on the cusp of what you're seeing from the guy is probably what you're going to get. And like Jacob Yosasin before him, 
it's not going to be as high as you thought he was when he was drafted. Okay, for some reason, I don't know if I'm in this boat alone, but the second that Justin was drafted, I was like, I don't like this guy. I never saw it. I never once saw any sort of potential from him. And I don't know why. Like, the guy just couldn't stay on his feet. At least with Zaka, there's moments where I'm like, ooh, that was really good. Good job. Do more of that. Exactly. And then he just yeah. fades away. Yeah. You also said, even when he was drafted, his whole MO was he'll, he'll be your future second line, third line center. He'll be your reliable hand. He'll not be your stunning playmaker or stunning uh, attacker, but he'll do everything a little bit well. And not to hate on the man, but he did last in the league for quite a while. It's not like he just went to the Devils, played it, played one or two seasons, and went back to Sweden. He, he stuck around for a while. He played for course, Buffalo for a season, too. Yeah, that too. That was his last uh, stop before he went back to Sweden. Of course, the also said big, pro- big problem was, one, he didn't know when to shoot the puck, which I think Patrick Elias wanted to kill him at the stadium. <laughs> he decided not to do so in the slot wide open against the Rangers, son. <laughs> and two, the guy was just – he was injury prone, badly injury prone. I remember a game where he skate, he lost his footing and he skated straight in, into the corner boards right in front of my section. He skated back to the bench, never returned. We find out after the game – broke his collarbone and he's out for months it was stuff like that that just kept happening to him so anyway aside from the yosis and digression zaka this is a critical season for him and this training camp is going to be critical for him because he needs to show among a lot of other players who are almost guaranteed roster spots because they were signed they were traded for they just got drafted first overall he needs to show that he is still relevant on this roster I wouldn't be shocked that if he doesn't show up well, he gets traded either this, you know, by the trade deadline this season or sometime in the, during the draft next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this uh, is, there's the bold pick. This I'm is his put up or shut up year, right? This is the, yeah, his like absolutely. the team is only getting better. They're only improving and they're only adding more and more prospects. So you cannot fall behind while everyone, even more so than ever, is trying to break onto this roster. Exactly. Yeah, I I hope I hope it works out for him. And just one question I have for you: Do you think they might try him in the wing at some point? Well, they have been. They've been switching him between left wing and center for quite quite some time, mm-hmm. partially out of necessity with injuries, availability, and, and so forth. However, you look at this roster, and it's really hard to think. This is part of the reason why I wrote a big post about why Miles Woods' situation in New Jersey may not be so safe is because if you have Boakfist coming in and then you have other prospects that are garnering, clamoring, hungering for minutes and opportunities, like your Brett Seedies, your Michael McLeods, your Nathan Bastions, and so forth, somebody's got to give. And so for a guy like Zaka, I think in theory, wing would be a better spot than him than center. But given how the roster is constructed, center may be his best place to play. And truth be told, Dan... If you're going to try to get the most out of him, especially since he seems to have some defensive qualities to him, center may be the more appropriate role for that. Mm-hmm. However, it all goes back to performances. And he'll show you flashes. He'll make some moves and make some plays that make you just go, all right, now I understand why he was drafted in the top 10 that year. But then there aren't enough of those types of plays. There's, there, It's either high or nothing. He needs to establish some middle. <laughs> right. Some consistency. Not just, not even just consistency, but just give me more than just here's a flash of awesome awesomeness after 14 shifts of nothing. Give me some decent shifts, you know, in between all that. Right. Show, you know, 
not just, hey, I just did my job and the coach is okay with it. Like, show some initiative. I, I think you hit on it greatly with the shooting because the man has played 201 NHL games. He's only taken 297 shots. I understand that maybe on some of those lines, somebody else is firing the puck more often. And truth be told, in those situations, maybe somebody was in a better place. But Zaka definitely has a good shot. Use it. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to it's have this. I'd love to have reliable center depth in. Like, if the center depth chart broke down to Heischer, Hughes, Zajac, Zaka, that would be pretty great. If they were exactly. all effective, that would be very, very good in terms of center depth, like around the league. I think. Yeah, I mean, it's not going to be top five or anything like that, but it's definitely not going to be bottom five either. It's well, actually it's something job vital. Done. Yeah, exactly. And that's what the Devils need to do where they are. If, if the goal is really to make the playoffs, and that's what P.K. Subban has been saying, it's what Jesper Bratt has been saying, it's what others have been saying, we've said it. Hall, very importantly. Hall, Hall, Hall has made it very clear he wants playoffs. Guess what? You got to be better. This is better, but you still have to perform. Yeah, this is your shot. Everyone wants this to work out for you. Make it happen. Exactly. Uh, yeah, that's that's what I got for today. Basically, it's you know we're we're almost at the end of the doldrums. We're almost there. Just uh, a few more weeks until we're really underway with preseason games for the main roster. As we you know see how the training camp battles settle out and everything. So, do you have anything else you want to bring up today? Sure. Just to quickly touch on a couple things to condense a little nonsense online. So in the league uh, on Friday, they announced to the NHLPA, the Players Association, that the NHL is not opting out of the contract bargaining agreement. And that is a good thing because it means that the CBA for the NHL, they want to continue it until its natural end, which is at the end of the 2022 season. It is up to the NHLPA to decide by the 15th of September of whether or not they want to opt out or not. And this has been a little contentious because there are some players that are unhappy with how hockey-related revenue is defined. They're unhappy with escrow. That's their biggest issue. And they're also possibly concerned about RFAs. Olympic participation, too. Eh, not really. They throw it in there. World well, Cup, also. They well, love the that top, stuff. Well, the top players might might like that because they'll play in it. For the, oh, yeah. For the, for the other 600 players in the PA who will never play in these games, they're probably not, not going to be interested. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, it, it's basically a fig leaf compared to the big branch that is escrow. So I don't think the PA is going to opt out. I don't think they're going to want to force the CBA to end next season because that's what opting out would do. It would basically mean that this season would be the last season of the CBA. And then, of course, we have to go back to the old tried and true and legitimate fear of having another lockout. Oh, but and, and exactly. it's a tough look for the league to have a lockout right before they add another franchise. Well, truth be told, there's no, there's never a good time to have a lockout. <laughs> no, but he, especially if you're trying to expand the game, how are you going right. to get people interested if, oh, congratulations on your first season in the league, now there's no season. Good job. Well, the good news is that it would be an abbreviated season. And, and truth be told, Dan, part of the reason why they keep going to this well is because we all have come back. When I say we, I mean the royal we. Because after the 94 lockout, or the 95 lockout, rather, everybody came back. The, t the league and the PA burned an entire season in the mid-2000s. Everybody came back. We had another lockout this past decade, back in 2012. Everybody came back. The league has made more money ever since these lockouts. So by no means do they have an incentive to just not do it because they know full well, historically, people will come back. Oh, yeah, that's what happens money. when you have lack of competition in the American scene, at least. Well, 
the competition is more sports in general, but hockey fans are just that loyal. Yeah. And people are into hockey. Hockey's a great sport. I think it's the best sport. You would hope so. I'm a hockey blogger. Um, <laughs> but more importantly than that, I take the attitude of, all right, you're going to have your little labor fight. Fine. Whatever you guys are done with it, come back and then we'll get back to where we were. I'm, I'm, I'm being real with you. I don't like it, but that's just how it is. But nevertheless, the good news is that the NHL is not opting out. Well, I don't think the players will either. And if that's the case, then we don't have to worry about this for a couple more years. Uh, before the inevitable lockout. Possibly. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> if if we'll history see. says anything about it. Well, again, it, it boils down to what it is that you're trying to negotiate over. For all we know, if the union is really organized, and more importantly, if the owners are also organized, and they're willing to say, all right, we'll give you a break on escrow, or we'll give you a break on the on the uh, difference between revenue and the cap, because that was the fight in 2012, it, the 50-50 split that the players eventually did get. But part of the re part of the two part of the reason that has to be insured is through escrow, which is money that's taken off the top, which players are understandably unhappy about because it means the money that would they would be getting today, they're not getting it. They're getting money for later. So. I can understand their frustration, but at the same time, the union, the players themselves are kind of divided just by nature because you got players that are incoming like Jack Hughes, like Bulkfist, where their interest may be just give me money now. We'll figure it out later. Some players are older and they're not really in the league anymore, like Ben Lovejoy. You know, that's a veteran that's gone that maybe would have been more up for a fight like this one. And then you got players with European options, players who are maybe – they're, they're happy with their contracts and happy with however much they make. And then you got players like Mark Edward Vlasic, who's very up for complaining about escrow to the media and has <laughs> done so. And therefore, you can count on him of being more contentious about it. So basically, by definition, the players are not on the same page. And so it's up to Don Fair of the union to try to get them on the same page. And hopefully getting on the same page will lead for more harmonious results all talks have been positive so far, but of course that's because nothing is imminent right now. I'm sure if the players do decide to lot, uh, opt out or in 2022 when we're talking about this yet again, it may not be so happy, but that's just how negotiations work. Mm -hmm. It's nice because we're finally getting some of the big writers back from their margarita breaks in Western oh, Canada, yeah. so they're yeah, actually talking about this now. Yeah, miss, miss, and there's also some big changes there, too. Apparently, there's been some upheavals at Sportsnet. So Nick Kiprios is out. John Shannon, who broke the Taylor Hall surgery, uh, he's out as well. I wish them best in their future endeavors. I'm sure they'll land on their feet just fine. They're great reporters or great analysts, as I understand it, up in Canada. And Canada is definitely not going to have a shortage of broadcasters. So, But, yeah, you're absolutely right. We're getting close to actual hockey. Mr. Margarita's turned back into Mr. McKenzie. He's still unhappy that Mitch Marner hasn't signed yet. <laughs> yeah, because then he has to deal with the uh, the inside scoops yeah, on it when every, everyone's bothering every, him all summer. Every day, every hour. Hey, is Mitch Marner going to sign? Hey, Mitch Marner, wh what's going on with him? Hey, you're the insider. What's up with Mitch Marner? And he's probably thinking to himself, I, I wish I was in New Jersey. <laughs> like, doesn't he like don't you think he would have wanted to break that as soon as he knew anything like as if you asking him is going to cause him to break some new news item that he hasn't done by himself already come on dan we're talking about not only sports fans oh. but toronto sports fans yeah, i know i know uh, they're, they're all uh, right uh, sometimes <laughs> i mean to be told it's a, it's a truism of any big city sports market if you've ever listened to mike and the mad dog or i'm sorry mike no mad dog anymore Oh, I'm yes. myself with that reference, but I'm a hockey blogger, so I'm allowed to date myself. Uh, <laughs> you got you very know, selective rules here on what you are, <laughs> are allowed to do and not allowed to do. 
Well, when you're in charge, Dan, and you have the juice, you could do these sorts of things. Well, that's fair. So anyway, you know, guy, you know, Mike is a blowhard, but consider all the people who call him up every day to give him points or suggestions or, oh, you know, what's going on with this? It'll turn anybody into a blowhard. And anyway, I respect McKenzie for not becoming a blowhard and not becoming a big talking head just to get attention or just to dismiss people. He's been remarkably professional and I, I dare say somewhat positive about the situation. I just feel bad for him because he's going to get this question ad infinitum. And as you say, I'm sure he would love to break the news when it happens. It's almost like, you just, but you can't just tell the fans and the listeners and the watch, TV watchers and the tweeters, stop asking me. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. He can't, but uh, we will on his behalf because stop God. bothering Bob McKenzie. Just leave him. He, he, he'll know. Like as soon as he knows, you'll know. That's the deal. Turn on the notifications. You'll figure it out. There's a big wide world out there. Explore some other things as you wait. Read a book. Wouldn't it be interesting for Watch a, a movie. for a Toronto fan to turn on the McKenzie notifications just to see that Pavel Zaha has signed his extension? <laughs> I'm sure that will respond to. So, how does this affect Marner? McKenzie will probably just sit there and go, it won't. Well, perfect. Uh, and it doesn't have to. And that has nothing to do with us or the New Jersey Devils. So uh, we'll call that a wrap on that discussion for now. But uh, thanks again for joining us this week. And again, I hope you enjoyed your long weekend. By the time this posts, you'll be back at the office and, you know, either thrilled about it or not as thrilled about it. But regardless, I hope you had a great weekend. And we're looking forward to actually talking about some live games. Wow. That's right actual hockey let's go so keep reading all about the jersey look out for the release of the next part of the top 25 under 25 prospects list and again we encourage you to leave your feedback and if you could do us a favor and download the episodes it helps us out a lot um very much appreciate the response so far and we'd love to keep giving it to you so um yeah just keep on listening keep on reading and hold out a little bit longer we're almost there